altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all his words. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we ask that you are with us now in this time. that, That you are opening up our hearts and our minds. That we can wrestle with your word and come out with a better understanding of what it is and what and who you are in our lives, God. Let our minds and our hearts and our ears be open this morning, God. I want to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for the only one worthy of it, Lord. Amen. Now, uh, kind of a secular argument can be made that for, for any nation or civilization to survive and to thrive, it needs two things. One is some form of written language, and the other is a set of laws. Um, There's one scholar named uh, Stephen Fisher. He wrote in a book specifically about the significance of of written word in human history. And he has this quote. It says, As a means of communicating ideas and storing information, written language is the single most important and far-reaching technology available to humans and has served as the foundation of virtually all other information technologies from early etchings in clay to the world of digital access we enjoy today. Combining that, combining the power of a written word with a set of laws means that a society and a civilization is going to be a real powerhouse. If you're familiar with with, uh, history at all, you may be familiar with a guy named Hammurabi. He was the sixth king of of the Babylonian dynasty. And his rule was impressive. He actually went ahead and he kind of brought together all of southern Mesopotamia. And a lot of people think that the reason why his rule was so successful was because he had Hammurabi's code. He had written laws, written rules. He had standards and he had punishments. And they etched those into slabs of stone. They had laws. They had a written language. So in a secular world, looking back over all of history, you can see the importance of written word and also laws. They solidify the power of a nation. Now, I say a secular argument because we as Christians, we believe in a God that can make all things come to pass. The most powerful nations can be crumbled because of God's power, and the weakest can be led to strength. But God still knows that for his people, the nation of Israel, to become well-established and eventually be part of the longest-lasting dynasty in the ancient Near East, they still needed to be led by God, and God was going to give him a law. He was going to give them written word and God's law. God needed to give his people a written law and set it in stone, which he literally does. And this is where we're at in the life of Israel when we look at Exodus 24. This is where we are looking at this group of people, God's people. This nation is on the rise. We're seeing a nation of former slaves come out, and now they're free. They're led out of enslavement. And now they're building up in power. They physically, they can even defend themselves for the most part. But now they need more structure. They need more rules. They need to better understand who God is and how they are to live as God's people. In chapter 20, we see God giving the Ten Commandments. The rest of 20 and going through 21, 22, 23, you see even more rules and laws. You see laws about altars, laws about slaves, laws about restitution and social justice, laws regarding the Sabbath and festivals. God is giving them all these laws. 
But the way that he's giving them these laws is through Moses, is through a mediator. He does all this through Moses. Throughout history, the history of God's people, God has always used mediators. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve, going all the way back to Abraham, God has always used some form of mediator. God uses individuals specifically set apart, and he's using these people to lead his people. You see it with Moses here in verses 24, or in chapter 24. But you also see it with Moses throughout the entire story of Moses. We've been going through Exodus the whole time. God has selected Moses to be his mediator for this point in time. God is going to communicate and guide his people through a person, and here he's doing it through Moses. God's people needed a mediator. We, just like the Israelites, also need a mediator. See, we need a middleman. That's kind of what a mediator is. He's the person that comes between two parties. We need somebody to come between us and God because we're not worthy to come close to God. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. And he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. God selected a specific group of leaders here at this point. And he says, come closer. Come to closer to the presence of God. But then stop. Now only Moses, you can come. You're the one that's going to hear my words. And from you, you're going to relay that on to the people. You're going to lead and guide them. Moses comes up to God. He hears God's words directly from God himself. And his role is to go back to God's people, and tell them what God has said. And this is honestly for the best. Honestly, if I was part of the nation of Israel, I would be so happy that I was just part of the people, not Moses. Jeff talked about this a couple weeks ago when he talked about the holiness of God. God is majestic. He is awesome. He is powerful. His presence is also frightening. There's a famous line from C.S. Lewis when he's talking about Aslan. It says, He is not safe, but he is good. God's presence is in front of these people on top of this mountain with thunder and clouds radiating all around it. It's scary. Thank God that he chooses to use a mediator to come between God and his people. God's people needed that mediator. And I think when you think about mediators, and specifically when you think about Moses as a mediator, there's one beautiful thing, one far more beautiful thing than we could ever comprehend. It is that Moses here is our mediator in chapters 24 and throughout Exodus. But if we look at Moses in the light of the entire scriptures, Moses is just a shadow. And I mean that in this way. If you have a shadow of something, say there's a spotlight coming down right from me, hitting me, my shadow gets cast behind me. If you don't see me, just the shadow, you can look at that shadow and be like, that's the vague shape of a man. He may be this tall, right? But you would clearly see that that's probably a human being. You wouldn't look at the shadow and be like, that's a car. That just doesn't make sense. But you get an example of what physically you would be looking at. But something far better than looking at my shadow to find out who I am is just looking at me. If you physically look at me, you can see what color my hair is. What are my eyes doing, right? What am I wearing? You get a better picture than just what that shadow was. You get a complete and ultimate picture of who I am physically if you look at me. So you look at Moses you look at another mediator like, like Abraham and all the other mediators, they're all shadows. They're examples of great mediators, but they all pale in comparison to our true mediator, the one that we need in Christ, 
Christ is the mediator, the real mediator, the ultimate mediator. All others are just shadows. If the shadow thing doesn't make sense, then uh, maybe this will. If you're into construction, you have blueprints, right? You look at the blueprints. You look at them. You see all the measurements. You see the inside of the house. You see the outside of the house, right? You may even see a basement, which in Florida, that's where the water is. You guys are, you guys are crazy up here. Um, but you look at the blueprints and you see, oh, yeah, this is what this house is going to be. I get it. This is the measurements. This is how, what it is inside, outside. But what's better than the blueprints? Going into the finished product, looking, feeling the walls, seeing with your eyes the inside and outside of that house. That is far better than just looking at the blueprints. All these mediators that have come and will come before Christ are all blueprints. They're all shadows. Jesus is the ultimate mediator. Looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Now Moses was faithful to all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Or even more from the passage we read previously, Hebrews 9, just verses 15. Therefore he is, talking about Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from their transgressions committed under the first covenant. Moses never had that power as a mediator. Yes, Moses led God's people. And God's people needed Moses to lead them. Yes, Moses took the words of God directly from God himself and gave them to the people. But that's all. Moses did not have any kind of redeeming power about him. Moses was a shadow of what Christ was ultimately going to come and do. Moses was a mediator that the people needed at that time. Jesus came along, and he's the mediator we all need. He did Moses' job better. Moses was used to help give and guide the people of God to a way where they could start understanding how to live a life as God's people, start to live a life where they're dedicating their lives to following God and God's laws so that they could try to be examples and reflections of the holiness of God and who he is. That's what the law was created for us to do. And then Jesus comes as our mediator, and he secures us a way to be seen perfectly holy, not actions we need to do to pursue God's holiness. He makes us perfectly holy. But why do we need that in the first place? Why would we need Jesus to be our mediator? God's given us the law. Couldn't we just go ahead and follow that? Be like, I can do all these things. I'll just do all this, and I'll be holy, like God's called me to do. It seemed like God's people in our passage, they were all on board with it. Look at kind of the second half of verse 3 and then verse 7. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. Then he took the book of the covenant, talking about Moses, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. The nation of Israel heard the words from Moses. They were all on board. Everything God is asking us to do, we're going to do it. We're going to do it all. We are completely, 100% on board, God. All your rules, we got them covered. Less than 10 chapters later, God's people are going to be making a golden calf. In that moment, God's people, they had a desire to follow God's law. They agreed with it. They cried out, we're going to be obedient. But they couldn't do it perfectly. They break God's law even when their word said that they're going to obey it. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? I know I'm guilty of doing that. 
often. I often say I want to obey God, but then I fail him. See, it's important to know why God gives us these laws. And if you go through Old Testament, if you go through Levitical law, you're going to hear some weird laws. In Leviticus, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but in Leviticus, there's, an, there's a law about which birds you can eat. You know, we're not supposed to eat owls, eagles, vultures, or bats. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation, but I don't think the, the idea of eating a bat has ever crossed my mind. There's never a situation I even thought was a remote possibility. But yet, Levitical law says you can't eat bats. And then even in some of the chapters that we skipped over, if you go back to Exodus 22, you see even more and more laws that God has given Moses to tell the people. One of them, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. They're living in a different time. Okay, so maybe that was an issue that they really had to worry about. Right after that, you see, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Gross. But, again, God giving them these laws. Obey these things. And then right after that, you hear a law that says, whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. That's just going right back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments where there should have no other god other than the Lord your God. So what is the reason for these laws? Why did they have to have such specific laws, even what birds to eat? There, there's two guys, uh, Walton and Hill. They wrote a great book on the Old Testament. It covers, a, a, it's a good kind of like fly-by view of the entirety of the Old Testament. And they talk about the law, right? They talk about God's law, specifically here in Exodus. And they kind of compare it to other cultures at the time that they also had laws. And they said there's a distinction with God's law. And this is the distinction. This is how they help try to give you an understanding of why did God make the law the way that he did. They say this. God's law reveals what God is like and is given in the context of a covenant relationship that asks people to reflect and imitate God's holiness. The covenant established the relationship and the law regulated the relationship. The collections of the laws in the Pentateuch are not there to serve as actual legislation for any and all readers, but represent the foundation for ever-changing legislation required for a society to operate. Last half of that sounded like a lawyer was talking to you. So in other words, God's law is not just a bunch of buzzkill rules that God just makes to make God's people's lives difficult. God's laws are guidelines for us to live by so that we can imitate the holiness of God and who God is. We are created as the image of God. God's laws are a way for us to try to live as image bearers of the one who created us. So when you look at God's laws, hopefully you can have the understanding the reason why God's doing this is because he wants us to live in, in the holiness of God and he wants us to live out, trying the best of our abilities to live out, to be image bearers of God. So we see the people in Exodus 24. They're like, we get it. We're going to serve you. We're going to do everything you ask us to do. And they're given all these laws and they're all on board with it. So sometimes our desires hopefully are like that too. Hopefully we hear God's laws and we want to obey them. The Israelites clearly wanted to hear. I have a video clip um, of a movie and I'll explain it later. Can you try to play that? Maybe. All right. First you flick this switch, then this switch. That activates it. Then you push this button, which will give you five minutes to get out of there. Now whatever you do, don't 
push this button. Because that will set off the bomb immediately and we'll all be dead. Now, repeat back what I just said. That's from Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and that's probably like one of my favorite scenes of the whole movie. <clears throat> it was great. But in that scene, right, you see Groot, right, this, this little tree guy, and he's hearing instructions, do this, then this, then this, and you're going to be good. And then we see him kind of explaining back to Rocket, and, he, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And Rocket's like, yeah, I'm going to do this, yeah. I'm going to do this. No, that's not right. <clears throat> we are often like that. Sometimes we read God's law. Right? And we hear an instruction like, don't steal. Got it. Okay. Check it. Don't even have to worry about that. Don't eat a bat. Okay, of course. Not going to eat a bat. But then all of a sudden we hear laws like this. Don't give in to jealousy. Oh. Don't give in to lust. Oh, that one's tough too. I'll do all these laws, but then when things get tough, oh, I don't know about that. Our desire might be to obey God, but we often fail to do just that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We mess up. God gives us his laws through his mediator. Take this, do this, live. Obey my rules. But we fail. Luckily, someone came and fulfilled the law perfectly for us. Jesus in Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus knows the law. And he doesn't get rid of the law. He comes and he fully adheres to it, down to the letter. Fully, he completes his life obeying God's law. The God's law that was given to man. God's people had a desire to obey God's law. They fail. We have a desire to obey God's law, but we fail. Jesus has that desire to obey God's law, and he does it. While we might want to obey God's law or have a desire to do it, Jesus does also, but he does it better. And now my third and final point is, is talking about a covenant. right? We, the, the whole If you go to uh, your Bible, it says, this uh, part of the scripture is confirming of the covenant. So what is a covenant? I know that if you've been in church long enough, you've heard that term over and over and over again. And I'm pretty sure like a third of PCA churches like have to have the title, like their name is covenant. Like it's just what it is. It seems that way. <clears throat> so covenant is this huge deal in Christianity. And oftentimes we just kind of like look over it. Some people might define a covenant just simply as a promise or maybe even a promise between God and his people. But in reality, it is so much more than that. It is so much bigger and stronger than just a promise. There's an amazing book by Old Palmer Robinson called The Christ of the Covenants. And in this book, he goes through all the covenants that God makes through and for his people. See, God is using covenants to make everything come to pass. God has this grand narrative of how everything's going to happen, and the way God works is through covenants. 
You see them throughout all of Scripture. So what is a covenant? Well, Palmer Robertson, he defines a covenant this way. A covenant is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. When God enters a covenantal relationship with men, He sovereignly institutes a life and death bond. Or in other words, a covenant is a blood oath. It's a binding relationship that says, these things will happen or you can put me to death. When God makes a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis, you see kind of a ceremony take place. You see Abraham cutting animals in half and then putting them on each side to make a pathway. And then Abraham is tired and he's exhausted and he rests. And then what happens? You see a smoking pot and a fire go in this pathway. That is God's presence walking through this pathway. And he's saying, the promise I made with you, the covenant I made with you, Abraham, the one where a great nation is going to come from you, Abraham, I'm going to make that happen, or you can make me like these animals. God is literally swearing on his own life, saying, Abraham, everything I promise you, I'm going to make happen. And if not, I'm going to basically become like these animals. It's a bond in blood. So now we have the Mosaic Covenant, a covenant here that is wrapped up in the law of God. All these covenants that have come before this point, they're still very much in play. Those after are going to be in play too. God is sovereignly in control and upholding all of these covenants. But our passage is talking about the law specifically, the Mosaic Covenant or the covenant of law, simply because Moses was the mediator or because regarding the law. See, now we are lucky. If you read through Romans 6, you know that we are freed from the law because of what Christ has done. But that does not mean the law is not needed. God gave Moses the law, and the people needed to obey the law. The law for us as Christians, the covenant of law, was not made to oppress us or God to be strict on us. Like I said early, the law was made as a guide for us to live in the holiness of God. The law is us to look at and see God's holiness because what God has done for us, we are to try and live in God's law, to show the holiness to ourselves and to others. Galatians 3 speaks about the law in this way. Now by faith came. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The law was our guardian before Christ. The law was our guide. The law was the way that we could come and grow closer to God. Then Jesus came. Jesus came and He fulfills the law. Jesus came and He showed us how to live. Jesus comes and He simplifies the law. Remember what Jesus says when He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor. And then all the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Sweet. Jesus helps us have a better understanding of the law. He simplifies the law. Maybe we don't have to worry about these crazy Levitical laws because all the other laws hang on those two things that Jesus said. Love the Lord your God above all things. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus came. He lived under the covenant of the law. And He fully adhered to it. He fulfilled the law. And then He comes and He makes it easier for us to understand the law. Jesus just does it better. 
But what about God's people in our passage? Jesus had not come yet, right? They did not know what was going on in God's unfolding narrative before Christ. So what happens is this covenant is made and it is sealed in kind of a gruesome way. You see this often in the Old Testament, but here in our verse, how do they seal this covenant? How do they mark this covenant as true and serious for God's people? You can look at verses 5. They offer burnt offerings and sacrifice young bulls and fellowship offerings to the Lord. You see Moses keeping the blood, sprinkling it on the altar, keeping it in basins. And then you see at the very end, verse 8, Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. God's covenant is being secured and confirmed with these rituals, with this ceremony. Even as weird and gross as it may sound, that's what's happening, is they're confirming this covenant between God and His people, the covenant of the law. Even so much as as Moses sprinkling blood on other people. It's like hepatitis stuff. Like You can't do that anymore. God knew that these people were not going to live up to the law. He knew that they would not obey, even if they say they would. God knew that to secure their salvation, a sacrifice needed to be made. At the time of this people, they used ox, and they used a sheep, or some other kind of animal. But all that itself is just another shadow, just another blueprint. It's not a final sacrifice, a final sacrifice that we need. No, that sacrifice had to come from something and someone far greater than any animal. It came from God Himself. It came from Jesus. Jesus came to shed blood one last time. Jesus came to take punishment for our sin, the punishment that was death. His blood had to be spilt to secure our eternity. We see this take place through yet another covenant, through a new covenant, a covenant sealed with the blood of Christ, the one and done sacrifice, the final time that blood had to be spilled for our sins and failures. The final time blood had to be spilt because we could not live under the law. Hebrews 9 11 through 14. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? These ceremonial sacrifices this confirmation of the covenant of the law, the offering of blood we see in Exodus 24, it served a purpose. It confirmed God's covenant. It showed the gravity of the situation. But when Jesus comes and completes the new covenant, a covenant bound in blood, it secures us back to God because Jesus fully living under the law. Jesus once again proved that He did it better. So when you think of Exodus 24, when you see the confirmation of the covenant of law, you can see that the the way God worked is through a mediator. But know that Moses was great, 
but Jesus is better. And because of Exodus 24, you can see that we might have the desire to want to obey God's law, but no, we fail. There's forgiveness in that, but only because Jesus came and obeyed the law better. And when you see the brutal and gruesome ceremony, the confirmation of the covenant in Exodus 24, where blood is being poured out and sprinkled on an altar in God's people, remember that a far greater blood was spilt for you because Jesus did it better. Knowing all that, you can start to see the beautiful picture that our eternity is secure through God's covenant by our perfect mediator Christ, willing to completely follow God's law. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the way that you have written out everything to come to pass, God. We thank you for your use of covenants to secure us eternity, not because of something that we have done, but because of what you have done for us, God. Let us never fail to just rest in your mercy and your grace, God. We thank you for the mediators you have put out before us that we can see Christ through them, God. And when we fail to live up to your law, God, let us focus on the forgiveness we get through Christ, God. Let us focus on the fact that you have promised us eternity because of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory, for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. Amen. As we prepare to uh, celebrate the Lord's table, um, let's sing and, and meditate on the